0: very few companies are going to be able to lean on their people the way that companies that have a strong culture, your people are going to figure out how to make the right decisions. You don't have to micromanage them. You don't have to tell them constantly what to do. They get it. They understand. They're giving the 150% without you asking because they love working here.
1: Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Okay, welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your
2: host, Jordan Peace, and today we are graced with the presence of Emile Saye. Emile is the president and CEO of Entirety. Entirety was formed in 2019 after Hostaway and Hosting.com merged together. We're going to hear a little bit of that story but Saye was at the helm of merging those companies together and then as the CEO to this day. So excited to hear from Emil. We'll be talking about his cybersecurity company, also his backdrop, his background, how he got from college until now. And I'm just going to ask him some overly personal questions to see if we can get some juicy details. But Emil, thank you so much for jumping in today. Thank you so
0: much for hosting me.
2: I don't mean to intimidate right away. I'm going to ask you some very vanilla questions. Don't worry about
0: it. No worries.
2: Well, I would love to hear, Emil, just about, you know, since I already brought it up, maybe you could talk about, you know, kind of transitioning from Hostway and then merging with Hosting.com. I think that's one of the things that may not apply to every single listener, but I think many of us have been through those acquisitions, those mergers, et cetera. But to hear it straight from somebody that was intimately involved be interesting to hear what's what that's like and how that kind of impacted you and impacted the folks that you were working with and that you're working with now and what that transition was like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that question. Definitely not a softball, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> however, you know, I can tell you from the bowels of the the beast, if you will, how it worked. So the merger wasn't necessarily a long term strategy plan. I was brought in to essentially get Hostway back into a growth path, which Mm. we did. And suddenly other people in the industry noticed. And, you know, there was another company, Hosting.com, that was looking, having some of the same issues as Hostway. And they said, well, can you do what you did over here, over there? And Mm. we kind of decided to structure a merger of equals. And definitely the two companies had a lot of similarities. And honestly, from a culture standpoint, there was a lot of similarities as well. Not just coming from a financial profile or customer target or product line. There was a lot of similarities from a a culture standpoint. So 90 days before the merger was inked, we sat down, we engaged clearly with the management team on the other side and developed a plan, Mm -hmm. an integration plan. And, you know, most consultants will tell you integration plans, you know, two companies this size, you know, this was a large merger of two decently sized, mid-sized companies. Merging them together, you know, most consultants will tell you, hey, look, this is going to take two years to merge these things in I was really pushing for a lot more urgency Hmm. and kind of getting these big projects behind us. So we put ourselves on a nine-month cycle and actually met it to merge the two companies. And from the time that the deal was inked. But that only could have happened... Because we had started 90 days earlier and we went through area by area, whether it was people or this technology, back end systems, financial systems, you know, so on and so forth. So I think to speed it up, you have to engage early. You have to build trust with the management team early sure. and then put an aggressive plan to merge the company.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. for. I know that wasn't a softball question. This will be a little simpler, maybe zooming in to that and the people side of it. The business side, I'm sure, had all of its own complexities already, and you've got two sort of senior leadership teams, and that's a lot of dynamics to figure out. But what about for the rest of both companies, everyone that wasn't in the room to negotiate those things? How do you feel like that went? What was the reception of the employees? I imagine inevitably you lost some. I mean, how could you not? But I mean, how did you guide people through such
0: turmoil that is a merger? communication, transparency, and not making promises that you can't fulfill. Mm. And also being present, being available so that people can ask questions, Mm. being personable. My first move was essentially get on a plane and go to every hosting.com location because I was selected to be the CEO of the merch company. So the onus was on me to essentially go and Show that I'm a human being yeah. and that we weren't going to do things that are unreasonable and that we weren't going to do things that are going to be detrimental to the culture and the people. So I got on an airplane and went. And I tell you, those visits, you know, the first month when I visited all the sites of hosting.com, the company that we merged with, are still to this day points of reference for me hmm. because these were the first impressions. You know, I will tell you, I met people that are now. Senior leaders in the company back then, yeah. and the way they conducted themselves, the way they leaned in, the way they try to understand the questions that they ask. I'm not going to say that there wasn't a lot of apprehension. Sure, absolutely, a move like that. There's always apprehension. Of course. New team, you know, especially a competitor, you know, essentially merging and then the management team of that competitor becoming the management team of the joint company. So there was apprehension. But because we proved that we, we showed that we are human beings just like them right. and really exercised our humanity is what made the difference. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, there is, a, especially amongst competitors, there's such a us versus them and we're the good guys and they're the bad <laughs> All of this sort of traditional storytelling that we do in our own minds. And it's such a great reminder to just, one, show up in person. You know, I've heard that advice and by the way, this podcast is just a secret way of me getting great advice from people that have already done things that I haven't done yet. That's my whole motivation. Um, so, but I've received and our listeners have received that advice too from leadership. Just show up, get on a plane, go, you know, meet people and show who you really are to them. Show that transparency and it makes all the difference in the world because without that there's this sense of like these people and they're taking over and what is my and all the fear and all the doubt just wells up. And that happens anyway, a market downturn or I'm in the startup world. So a fundraising round, every time we go through any sort of transition, I the fear is palpable, like I can feel it all around me, what's going to happen and what's going to happen to me and my job and my role so good for you i mean to be able to navigate that i'm sure there's the horror stories in the midst of it that you could tell but to be able to on the whole bring people along with your own humanity and humility and by showing up i mean that's really cool to hear that story so back to you so back to emil so how did you get here in the first place right i mean before you were selected to be the ceo of the merge company you were with hostway right what was your role in Hostway and like, how did that get started? Were you hired in? Were you a founder in that? Take us back a little bit.
0: Sure. So I think I've kind of established a, a reputation of being a turnaround CEO. So I was okay. brought in by private equity. That's right. You mentioned that. That's right. In 2012, at a company called Codero, helped turn that around, turn it into a success. And then the owners of Hostway kind of get, got wind of that, reached out. It was a similar turnaround story at Hostway, except a lot bigger and a lot more complicated. So mm-hmm. we accomplished that. And then I would say the same thing happened with Hosting.com, and then which ended up bringing these two companies together. Before that, I was the GM of the cloud business at Rackspace. And I will tell you, that is the first time that I proved to myself that I could be a CEO. For the majority of my career before that, you know, that thought was kind of in the back of my mind, but wasn't necessarily a goal of mine. I was an engineer by training and did my first job as an engineer. And then after that, moved into product management and product line management, if you will. But at Rackspace, I I became the vice president of product there and helped the company go public and was a great success there. Put that aside, I came up with a proposal to essentially started a new business to compete with this bookseller called Amazon at the time that was bringing in AWS, Amazon Web Services into the market, which nobody had heard of at the time in 2007, call it. And they became a threat to an established company in the hosting space like Rackspace. And uh, so I brought in a proposal to essentially build a cloud business to fend them off, at least from some of our customers. you know. Whereas a lot of people were dismissed, like, oh, nobody's going to buy from a bookseller you know, compute services, and then here we are. But long story short, I put together this proposal, which had elements of building our own technology stack, as well as acquisitions, and brought it up to the senior leadership team, went to the board, and then the proposal was accepted to invest in a couple of acquisitions with the one condition that I would be the guy that's leading it. So I would have to leave the job, my dream job, all my life that mm. worked for being a vice president of product. You know, I've been you know, doing product for all my life and um, yeah. to go do something that I was very uncomfortable with, you know, at least at the surface. And the people that really saw the value in me were three people that I still hold in high esteem. They saw mm. something that potentially I didn't see in myself and I didn't necessarily have the courage to quote unquote apply Right. One of them was Graham Weston, who was the chairman of Rackspace. The other one is the CEO of Rackspace, uh, which is Landon Napelier. And then Lou Mormon, who was the president of Rackspace, who really you know, kind of brought up my name as being the candidate to kind of lead that combined business. Hmm. So I owe so much to them. And then once I did that, this was basically a company within a company. It was run completely separately. And this is where I kind of saw that, hey, look, I can really run sales. I can run marketing. I can run operations, run right. all these functions and manage a P&L effectively. So that's kind of my story of how I became a CEO. That's awesome.
2: And I love hearing that. And I feel like that's what was done for you, someone recognizing your potential and actually kind of pushing you along a little bit? Hey, actually, you're the guy, you know, <laughs> like it's not someone it's actually you like that's I think for the vast majority of us, that's what it takes. Very few people just sort of wake up on their 18th birthday and go, I'm a CEO. Watch me. go. <laughs> you know, you hear the stories about those folks, of course. But that's very much not the norm. Do you find that because of that experience, you find yourself looking for that potential in others and those that work for you? Do you kind of have an eye out in the same way because you kind of want to discover that talent and that ability and let those people know about it?
0: Always. I feel like as I'm navigating through the company and talking to people, I'm always looking at the potential. And this Mm -hmm. is partly why I wake up in the morning is I love to see people being successful. And frankly, sometimes, and leaders need to be more courageous of doing that. Sometimes whenever they see somebody shooting themselves in the foot or not necessarily giving themselves enough credit. Right, They need to have the courage to mm. come in and gently, without being threatening, or overly aggressive, mentoring that person so that they can get to their best potential. Otherwise, people will continue to make mistakes that sabotages their careers inadvertently and not knowing. So sometimes as a leader, we have to be that mirror. Hmm. We have to be that reflection and then give that feedback to individuals. So, and not necessarily just the folks that directly report to me, I have skipped one-on-ones with the vast majority of people who want to have one-on-ones with me, specifically talk about development, specifically talk about their careers, because, you know, we want to grow that next generation of leaders and you never know you know who's going to surprise you. You never yeah. know who's going to step up. You never know who's going to take the mantle and run with it mm. unless until you talk to them and figure out what their strengths are. Yeah. And if there's some things that they're doing to sabotage themselves, just be candid and make sure that they know that.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, you see so many people, most of the time, it's not a lack of talent. It's a lack of courage or a lack of confidence. And the talent's just there. And if you can help breed that confidence or that courage in them, They'll thrive. And there's a few that are too confident <laughs> and not as much talented, but that's a far minority by comparison. That's really cool. You know, that's the kind of stuff, Emil, that that focus on others and that focus on seeing their abilities, that focus on those skip one oh ones and being accessible, being available to others. That's what makes a great culture. I run a lifestyle benefits company. We do some very cool things to help enhance that culture, but You can't enhance a culture unless the leader already cares about their people. You can't just buy loyalty and buy commitment. And so even as somebody that leads a company that does that stuff, I'm totally sold out on the fact that the leadership is what matters the most and that humanness and that humility to kind of meet people where they are. So in that light, just kind of going down this uh, culture vein, which is where I always take guests down. Talk about, if you don't mind, the last... I don't know, let's say year or so as we've entered into this great resignation we've been, or this great reshuffling, whatever the heck you want to call it. Has that been net positive, negative, neutral? How's that impacted you? Because I, I imagine some of the things that you've described would lead to you being able to build loyalty and trust in an organization. But I'm just curious how that's impacted you guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's impacted us really in three ways. The first way, of course, you know, we've had our share of resignations and people jumping ship for various reasons. The pandemic has caused a lot of turmoil with, with folks wanting to essentially work from anywhere, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, certainly we have physical points of presence where people have to be there, data centers and security operating centers and whatnot. But let's put that aside. So that The second thing is that it's been a net positive for us because that great resignation is also affecting the market. And right now there's about 3 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. So if you are looking for cybersecurity talent, if you are a mid-market company, it's going to be very hard for you to hire that talent as well as retain them. And cybersecurity has become a very prominent dinner table conversation type of a Topic, if you will, yeah, especially lately. So that is a becoming a major deal, and these mid-market companies are at a very grave danger from ransomware and other cyber threats. So that's been a net positive for us because we're a company that provides cybersecurity services. So with their inability to hire and retain, coming to a company like us to essentially run their security is something that companies are doing. The third area, though. Which is related to the first one is as some talent departs because of the culture of developing from within, mm. we've been able to promote from within, and it's been an incredible success. Actually, yeah. our I cite you know one example: Maggie McGovern, our VP of Sales, been with the company for sixteen years, started as frontline as it can get uh, mm-hmm. with the company, for a company grew career to be a sales executive to sales manager to director and now finally the vice president of our entire sales and channel organization so wow. it's a great feat that you know we're able to constantly look from within look right. at the bench and see who's ready to go next and not only see who's ready but also prepare them to be ready i always say the best way to get promoted is to have a ready replacement in your place right so if you want to get promoted have everybody replacement on your team that can slot in because in a lot of cases, unfortunately, a lot of people hurt themselves from getting promoted because they become too indispensable mm-hmm. in their current job right. and not create a system that can backfill them in case they get promoted.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I find both sides of that coin. Sometimes it's, people get promoted that actually don't, you know, they don't actually want a different job, right? They just, you're trying to honor them with a promotion, but they're actually better players than they are coaches. Then you got other folks that just, they're looking for that promotion, but you're like, but you're such a good player. I don't know if I've got anybody to backfill that position. Yes, that'll freak you out as an executive when you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. when you promote that person, what's going to happen behind them in line. That's that's really good advice for, for anybody listening is, is have that next up mentality and develop that person behind you to take your spot. You'll be doing them a favor and yourself a favor and the company as well. So maybe talk a little bit more about culture. You talked about how Hiring from within is part of that culture and how you benefited, but also when people depart, there's a need to attract new talent. So curious from a, let's call it employer brand standpoint, like how you look as an employer out there in the world. What have you guys done to either develop that or to find ways to communicate that more broadly or make it more visible to folks that are applying for jobs? Like how do you stand out from the crowd in this environment given what you just shared.
0: Yeah, I mean we're we stake our brand on kind of being thought leaders out there and we want to attract people that are like-minded as well. So, sure, we publish a lot in all kinds of magazines and online outlets and Forbes and others, essentially talking about the talent drought, talking about careers in cybersecurity, talking about the intricacies cybersecurity because you know from our standpoint if somebody's looking for a career in cybersecurity are they gonna go and work and be the loan security guy or gal at a meat packing plant or are they gonna come in and work at a cybersecurity company where they have a career and career progression and they're gonna learn tons, right? Versus kind of be so We try to essentially build our profile based on that cybersecurity thought leadership aspect and get it out there and attract people that are like-minded. Now, I say that we also recruit fresh out of college. We also recruit people that are interested in internship to see kind of a try and buy in the summer and then see if they like us. We like them, the potential, Mm -hmm. and then hire them when they graduate or hire them part-time as they work, they, uh, work on their degree. So we've had a lot of great success there in developing essentially what I call a farm team, bring them into the L1 levels and then get them to grow their careers. And we have a good system there.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to hear that. What do you think about some of the newer trends when it comes to sort of people operations and four-day weeks and unlimited pto and its shortcomings potentially and rolling out more and more mental health solutions flexible hours work from anywhere like where do you guys find that you're seeing kind of the best culture built the best productivity the best attraction as you just navigate all of these new
0: concepts that have been thrown at us all the last two years and all at once right so, yeah, at once, you definitely forward. you definitely <laughs> Like I said, to begin with, like you don't want to make promises you can't keep. That's right. I worry that some of these promises can't be kept up. I remember clearly I was as a startup in 2001, and then uh, the recession hit. Before the recession hit and before the unforeseen event of 9-11, right, we were having lunches literally every day. Lunch, breakfast, every single day, brought to the office. And then once the recession hit... They started kind of dialing back a Mm -hmm. lot of these benefits, dialing it back. And I tell you, the morale impact, I mean, not only was there a recession, but the morale impact internally was quite palpable, right? And so you just have to be very careful with these benefits that they're going to be there for a long time. And they need to be established based on a solid foundation that works for your business. Mm. Like I said, we wouldn't be able to do the four-day week for certain functions in the company. And then you have to also parlay that. Because, I mean, we have data people that work in data centers. Like data centers are not going to run by themselves. And we have commitments and SLAs with our customers. So, And then pretty much all our operations are 24 by 7. Now, you know, there's ways that you can do that with follow the sun. But then we're in the cybersecurity business and we try to keep all the crown jewels in the United States. So we don't, there are certain functions that can't be outside the United States just in case the customer gets subpoenaed, you want to be able to work with the Department of Justice without those issues. So we balance all these things. We definitely on the mental health aspects and the training aspects, we take great length at doing that. So and you know we're pretty focused on that. So so that's kind of where we stand. We're evaluating it like everybody else, one by one.
2: (laughs) I really love that answer because I think the tendency is oh Google did it, Facebook did it. Like we all have to do it now. Like literally, the rest of us must move to remote only till the end of time. And like to your point, it, if you're going to commit to something, you got to commit to it. You can't. I mean, the minute you start taking it back, not only is it question, hey, are you an executive team of your word, so to speak, but also I think like taking away those lunches is like. It's a physical manifestation that something is wrong, right? You want to freak people out. you know It's not really about the lunches. like they can probably afford their own lunch. It's about we used to be able to afford this and now we can't. What's next? You're not gonna be able to afford my salary next? They're like, what's you know what I mean? And it starts up that fear train again. So I think that's a really wise measured approach to go, hey, instead of just jumping right into the hottest trend, Let's actually consider what is sustainable through the ups and downs and sideways. I think that's really solid leadership, solid advice. I I appreciate that. Uh, Taking that one to heart personally. Thank you. So, (laughs) yeah, this has been great. We're kind of, this has flown by. I looked at the clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, we've been talking 10 minutes longer than I thought we had. Well, let me just finish with this. What advice would you give? I'll give you two choices, either to more established companies, kind of mid-sized companies that are trying to navigate through maybe a recession, they just got through a pandemic, God knows what's next, right? In sort of like staying the course and keeping people's trust and keeping that fear at bay and so forth. Or if you'd rather talk about the startup called, how do you build a culture from scratch? Either way, whatever you think is most appropriate for your experience.
0: Yeah, perfect. I would say view culture as a competitive advantage. And I'm going to just say one thing. You want to position the company at the intersections of megatrends, whether it's an established company or a startup. It doesn't matter. The same principles apply. You've got to position your company at the intersection of megatrends. In our mm-hmm. case, the three megatrends, one of them is culture, but I'll tell you about that in a second. The first one is cybersecurity, which we talked about. This is a megatrend. This is a 10-year right. megatrend so we're positioned right squarely in this in it. The second thing is the way that mid-market companies are buying, they're no longer buying directly from a company, they're buying through a partner network. So we've positioned ourselves to sell exclusively through what we call channel partners, you know, people that are IT consultants that work with the end customer. And the third one that's made the first two possible is the mega trend of creating a powerful culture. And that's a competitive advantage, as strong as number one and number two. That is as strong as a cybersecurity trend because very few companies are going to be able to lean on their people the way that companies that have a strong culture, your people are going to figure out how to make the right decisions. You don't have to micromanage them. You don't have to tell them constantly what to do. They get it. They understand. They're giving the 150% without you asking because they love working here. And that's a mega trend for us that we measure through an employee net promoter score, as well as the customer net promoter score. And both of them have been on a steady trend upward, up into to the right in a strong manner, and in a, in a way that's correlated as well, right? These two trends are very, very correlated, the happiness and the loyalty of your employees and the loyalty of your, of your customers. And that immediately translates, of course, to those that are bottom line oriented into profits, because your employees are happy, your customers are happy, They're going to refer more. They're going to do a better job, you know, on and on and on.
2: on. I love it. I wish I could come up with the source of the study. We'll put it on the end of the podcast if I can think of it. But a study that I just read around employee happiness and those that self-reported greater happiness than their peers were four times as likely to be top performers. (laughs) I mean, if that tells you, that's indicative of how important that culture is because that happiness I say nine times out of 10 is as a result of the work environment, how they're treated, are they listened to, are they respected and dignified in their work, not necessarily about out business outcomes. It's about the employee experience. Well, Emil, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this has been really informative for me. I hope our listeners are taking a bunch of notes on their phones as they're listening here. If not, you can just listen again. But this has been Emil Saye, again, present CEO of Entirety. If you ever need a CEO to come in and Your company's not doing all that well. You need to turn it around. Emil is your guy. so He's done this a couple of times now. And so I'm really happy to hear about all the success you guys are experiencing. And I really appreciate your time today.
0: Jordan, thank you so much to you and to your listeners. All
2: right. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time on Bragworthy Culture.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at
0: fringe.us.